0: I gotta tell you, I gotta be real honest with you here. Um, I have in my ears, I have hearing aids, I have a sound system, I have glasses, and now I have uh, masks I have to wear. Um, honestly, I feel like a coat rack up here, and uh, you know that that that's an old that a Dumbo because my ears have to stick out so far uh, for me to be able to get everything in. Um, I think it is very, very safe to say that we are getting pretty tired and we are getting pretty worn out with the ramifications of the COVID-19. I mean, folks, this is 24-7. You know, the, the fears, the threats, the constant numbers that are kept before us, the precautions that we have had to take, the disruptions that we've had to have in our life, you know, the wide range of opinions that are out there, the inconveniences. Then there's the politics of this whole thing that is getting messed in. Everywhere you turn, you run into it. I think I'd be safe to say every single gathering that you have, almost every single conversation that you have is some way in some form affected by COVID-19. Now with a show of hands here, who's tired of it? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much got everybody there. Um, I got to tell you, from early on, I have felt that Satan would use this whole situation um, as a tool to ultimately try to build disunity within Christianity, within church families. I mean, just think about it for just a moment here. What you know, has been going on for, for so long here. Um, he has softened us up this past four months, tilling the soil of frustrations and emotions. And, and the whole time while he's doing this, he's keeping us separated, you know, consuming us with, with worldly changes. And our nerves are raw. And we are coming to a tipping point. And not just within the church. I mean, you can feel it out there in society. I mean, all the shutdowns, all the sacrifices that everybody made were thought to be temporary. You know, they're they're thought to be short-lived, but it turned out not to be. Now, again, I don't want anyone to mistake my point here. I am not rendering a judgment on what was right or wrong that we have done. Um, These are unprecedented circumstances. But my my point is to focus on Satan's use of this present climate that we find ourselves living in today. People have lost their jobs. People have lost their businesses. Loved ones have gone into the hospitals and nursing homes isolated from having any relationships. Some of our loved ones have been made to suffer and die alone. And then their families having to, you know, postpone, you know, even the time of memorial and, uh, you know, that, that, that time of, of healing. There's so much anxiousness out there. People's retirement portfolios have been pummeled. There's quarantining. There's vacations have been canceled. Kids' sports, schooling, travel haltered or hindered. All this change in a moment, you know, And and no time to prepare for it. I remember years ago, I saw a T-shirt that always stuck with me. It said this. It says, I've got one nerve left, and you're getting on it. (laughs) Yeah? I mean, isn't that pretty accurate? Probably that we could say for a lot of us a lot of the time. And we are not immune from this in the church family. We have the same frustrations that the world has that they're going through with all the changes that are out there. And then we come to church, our our, our place of reprieve, our place of rest, of, of joy and comfort. And it, too, is being affected. Fellowships have been halted. Contact has been limited. Ministries have been stopped. Outreach has been altered. Unfettered worship is is now cluttered with distractions. Satan is not going to miss this opportunity to sow discord, to sow frustrations, to divide the church. So first and foremost this morning, I want you to know who the enemy is. And it is not anyone sitting in the pews today or listening, being live streamed today. We are not. They are not. You are not the enemy. Satan is a liar. Satan is a deceiver. He is the demon of half-truths. And this culture that we are presently in is a wonderful playground for Satan to, to do his work, to do his bidding. Well, today... This morning, I want to give you a very simple challenge. A simple challenge for us to focus upon as we navigate these perilous territories that we are in today. Two words I'm going to emphasize and two words I'm going to talk about here. The first word I want to talk about is the word grace. The word grace. And and before I even go on here, I want to to thank the worship team. Um, I, I think I told them Wednesday or maybe even Thursday what was I, I was going to speak on. And I know they changed everything and all of those songs to talk about grace and to remind us of God's grace. Grace is so important to us. And if we cannot show grace to one another as we navigate these strange waters, we are doomed. Because folks, it doesn't matter if your opinion, if my opinion on something is 100% right, if we do not exercise grace in it, then we are doing Satan's bidding. We are a people. We are a church. We are a faith that is founded on grace. Let me give you some verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, in, in faith and, and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness and in love that we, we desire inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Don't forget, don't leave it behind. And all of your knowledge and teaching the truth and, and all of the faith that you have. Don't forget. Abound. Overflow in grace. Ephesians 4:7 says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So a, a special grace has been given to us as believers. Remember that. Second Timothy 1.9, who has served us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, and grace which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Grace that was granted to us. From Christ Jesus. Then finally, James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Our God is a God. Our faith is a faith of mercy and grace. And believers in Christ have been given this special dosage of grace that, quite honestly, the world doesn't have. I mean, they've got grace. You know, it's part of, uh, you know, humankind. But it's very clear that when a person genuinely comes to Christ, that there is a special grace that has been given to them. And, And it's not just a command, you know, to have grace. But God has given us also the means and the ability to have God's grace. If we want. If you want to plug into it. If you want to have that grace, that grace is available to you today if you are a child of God. And, and Satan wants us to get our eyes off of that. And it's easy. You know, we're just getting worn down and you know, picked away, pecked away at everywhere we go. And Satan wants us our eyes on that and not on grace. Now, again, let's be honest with ourselves. All this was thrust upon us with little warning, virtually no time to prepare for this. We are being faced with decisions that affect our faith, that affect our mission, that affect our vision, the direction, the identity of of who we are as Christians. And quite honestly, it was easier early on. Everybody thought it was temporary. You know, you know, sh- you know, shut down everything. You know, for three weeks. You know, flatten the curve. All of those sorts of things. But now it's five months. You know, we're into five months in this. We are tired. We are worn down by this. We we haven't been meeting regularly. We haven't been serving. You know, together, side by side, face to face. You know, freely, unimpaired worship. Everything we do, everything that we do as a church, has to kind of be filtered through. This whole situation here, and to add to this, we're being isolated. And during this time, our sin nature calls us to circle the wagons and filter everything that's going on, everything that's touching us through questions like, well, how is this going to affect me personally? And things like pride in self and, and our ego. Those are just things that Satan wants to, to stir up in our life and 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 that quite honestly that is the world but it's not us it's not supposed to be us we are called to be a people of grace the same grace that as god has given me that has given you if you're a believer he has given you through his son jesus christ that said while we were yet sinners while we were yet opposed to him why are yet we were enemies of god jesus christ Died for us. That's what he did. But catch again the familiar verse, by grace, then you have been saved through faith. It is grace that he gave to you to save you through faith. And that is, is the foundation of who we are in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Many many of you know that the elders and the pastors are in process of of trying to navigate these waters, um, you know, that our civil government is handing down the mandates that we are getting and and kind of where it fits scripturally. And um, it it is beginning to touch areas of our faith, of our practice of our faith, you know, and and then to take those things and balance them with our, our safety and all of those, and we've kind of been tasked to do this. I want to tell you, this is not easy to do, particularly in our present climate, That we have, I mean, it's it's very emotional. People have very strong opinions on this. Um, We do have an Article of Faith that speaks about government and civil authority, and you know the church. Go ahead and put that up there for you. We have that. You know, this is the Article of Faith. It's Article Sixteen. We believe that the civil government is of divine appointment for the interest and good order of human society. We believe that magistrates are to be prayed for, consciously honored, and obeyed, except in things opposed to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Lord of the conscious and the coming prince and king. And then there's a whole bunch of scripture verses that you can look up in your constitution that you have that kind of go into support all different parts of, of, of that statement. And, and I looked at it earlier this week. i got to be honest, my guess was that, you know, this was made, you know, thinking that probably what was going to come down was, you know, at some time that, you know, if, if communism or something, you know, took over in the States or closing churches down for no reason or blatantly affecting Christianity, um, this wasn't necessarily written for a backdoor like a pandemic, and, and what do you do when, you know, it's fine when the government is unbe- being unrealistic and unlawful and, you know, and making these mandates. Well, what are you doing? You, you throw a pandemic in there and, you know, motives behind things. And all of these things work together. My, ho- my whole point is that this is not easy to do. This is not easy to, to kind of steer us through this in the midst of what we're facing. I mean, just look out at Christianity. If you follow anything going on, I mean, you, you've got in California where, you know, the churches have been closed, you know, singing, other things have, have you know, kind of been halted, outly, outlawed. And, you know, you got John MacArthur, who uh, his, his Church of Grace, you know, has taken a stand, and they're meeting um, in defiance of the mandates. And then on the other hand, what, about a month ago, you had Andy Stanley, who, you know, basically announced that they were just going to keep their churches closed till the end of the year, They never, ever reopened. They've been doing everything online since the very beginning. So, you know, they're going to be looking at about 10 months of not meeting in person, but but meeting online. Um, You've got all these extremes, even out there in Christianity. And, And so I say this just to say we need your prayers, your leadership does. We need your prayers, not your heat. We need your encouragement. We don't need lines drawn in the sand. We need grace, not judgment. We're going to get there. We're going to get there, but only with grace as our foundation are we going to get there. Now, there's a second word I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of today, and that is the word hope. The word hope. I was thinking about this earlier this weekend. You know, I, I think it'd be true to say that in general, hope is a future that we are to live in the present. It, it affects our present. You know, even if you talk, you know, the secular use of the word, you know, hope. You know, you got that hope that new job is coming, so it might help you, you know, the job that you're working in to be a little more patient, persevering, you got because you got something coming. Or, you know, the birth of a child. You know, you carry that child for nine months and you got all those pains, the frustrations and the agonies, and, but there's hope that that child is coming. And, or, or a vacation you're going to go on. You might be tired, born out, but you think, man, one more week. Man, one more week I'm going to be on that vacation. Biblical hope is seeing the promises, seeing the glory, seeing the wonder of our future and allowing that to radically affect our present. That's what biblical hope is. Seeing the promises, seeing the glory of our future and allowing it to radically affect how we live here in the present, how we deal with present circumstances, and yes, COVID-19, how our hope helps us to deal with it. Hope is not simply a doctrine that we believe. I believe in, you know, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not just a doctrine. It's a truth that we are called as Christians to live. It's not just a stated fact. It's alive. It's supposed to be alive and active within our lives. And, and, and so now you take this and you enter the COVID-19 season. You know, constant wear and tear on your, your nerves. Constant reminder of death tolls, constant reminder of of spikes and all the ramifications of it. Uh, last week um we were, we we went down to Texas and we we're sitting in the airport, you know everybody has their masks on, and you know you get to the airport you know there's hundreds of people there and they're not people that you normally rub shoulders with. They're coming from all different areas. They're not like, okay, they're from our town, you know, kind of like a gathering here. And I can't help but sit there with my mask on and I'm looking around going, I wonder how many of these people have COVID-19, you know? You don't have a little bell, you know, on their necks, you know, to to give some identification, you know? And, it, it, you know, I thought that probably through this whole thing, you know, just being in the Dayton airport, not necessarily, you know, in the – you know, in Houston or wherever, but just in the Dayton Airport was probably where I felt, you know, the most, hmm, okay, <laughs> what, do, what are we doing here? Um, you know, before all of this, you know, I, I think we knew death was a reality to us. You know, a piano could fall on your head. You could have gotten in a car accident while you were driving here to work. We all knew that. And, and we kind of, you know, massaged that with 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 hope, um, uh, but, but truth be known, all of those things like car accidents, panel falling here, something like that—those are all kind of distant realities. I really don't think about that from day to day. I jump into my car, you know, hundred times a week, and I don't ever think that, hey, I could die here, you know, if I'm driving my car. But but COVID nineteen, you know, wears on uh, 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 us differently. You know, it, it, it attacks us differently because it's right there in our face. It's on our TVs. It's on everybody's lips. You can't walk into a building without, you know, things being posted on. And it's constantly reminding of us, you know, of, of the danger of it, of getting sick, of, of, of possibly dying for it. It's all there. So how can we live as a Christian? How can we testify of our faith, you know, that we have a hope without sounding flippant? I don't care if I get it. You know, I know if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And, you know, sounding, you know, like it doesn't matter. You know, when we take precautions, you know, does that mean we're showing a lack of faith in what God can do? These are valid questions. Very early on, um, uh, you know, the, the, well, let me, let me double back here. Let me ask just how we are doing as Christians living in this environment, living in this atmosphere. How are we doing? How are you doing personally? You know, I, I haven't yet seen it. Uh, seep into some places of our church. I haven't heard anyone yet say, "If you were to get COVID nineteen today, do you know whether you'd go to heaven or hell?" You know, I mean, we, you know, we haven't yet. That hasn't permeated it, but, but it's there. Early on, I saw an article, and it was on Facebook, so I'm sure it was real. Um, you know, so <laughs> it said, "Pastor who." proclaims his trust in the Lord dies of COVID-19. Pastor who proclaims his trust in the Lord dies of COVID-19. And you can guess the general tenor of that article, of what it was going to write. Like, you know, Christians think that they're so protected from it that God is, you know, he proclaims God is greater than the COVID-19 and all of those sorts of things. And and, and then he kind of, you know, it ends up taking him and kind of the irony of that. It kind of reminded me uh, this past week as I'm in the book of Kings and uh, my devotions and to the point where the Assyrian king, you know, just, just, you know, taunted Israel. You know, no other God has stood before him. What even makes you think your God is going to come to your rescue? You know, God has sent me here to execute his judgment and on and on, you know, and, and how wearing that must be. Well, let me give you some verses for this so that, just to talk about how we can be people of hope and how can I, I live my hope and not come across as flippant or not come across as fearful <coughs> Excuse me, in what I am doing. All right, first of all, let me give you some verses. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 24. We'll place it up there for you. It says, for me to live is Christ. We have a problem, there we go. <laughs> for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. In other words, you know, Paul knew that, you know, God wanted him to stay. I mean, Paul knew that, hey, to to, to depart and go to heaven, that that would be glory. But he knew that he still had a ministry. He knew that he still had a purpose. That's why he goes on in, in verse 25, and he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith. Paul knew God wanted him to leave that matter into God's hands to try to live to serve him. That's a way we honor God. You know, we honor God by saying, God, I I trust you. I put this in your hand. Use me as long as you want down here and take me whenever you are ready. And and I'm not going to mesh those two. I'm not going to fight the one and hold on to the other or I'm not going to, you know, increase the one, you know, the the chances. I'm going to leave that into your hands. This is an offering of love that I give to God to say, You know, it's in your hands. I had a brother years ago. I still have a brother, (laughs) um, I guess. Uh, (laughs) My brother, um, as we were driving, uh, he said to me something like, hey, well, if heaven is so great, then why don't Christians hasten it? Why don't Christians hasten, you know, the end of their life? Why don't don't they just commit suicide and go to heaven? Because if heaven is so great, and, and honestly, that is a fair question. Why should the church take any precautions to protect ourselves if giving COVID would take us to a better place? Why should I do anything to stop you going to a better place? And the answer is what Paul wrestled with before God in Philippians 1, 21 through 25. You know, and he came to the conclusion because God may not be ready yet for you to go. And my great act of submission, my great act of love to God is to say, I place that in your hands. I place that, and, and there's no guilt, absolutely none whatsoever on our part. If we do what God wants us to do, and something would happen and someone would get COVID 19. And, and people would become sick of it. And and God forbid somebody might die from it. Our sorrow would be the same as, you know, if they had a car accident on the way home or if they died from cancer or something. But this whole thing of, you know, how, you know, you know, we're taking precautions and showing faith and all of that, you know, it comes to us to just say, you know, it's in God's hands. I'm going to do all I can to live. I'm going to do all I can, you know, so I can serve God here until he's done with me. And I place that in your hands. You know, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and join the faith. I don't do this for me. I do this for you. God may not be done with you yet. And what a great act of love and submission to him to say, God, it's in your hands. So I want to leave you with four truths, and you don't have these in your outline, Um, But I'm going to leave you with four truths. Actually, the the elders have been working on um, some kind of positions and wrestling through those. And and one of these positions, I want to share with you some of the verses that I have from them. First and foremost, four truths that we need to remember in the midst of this whole thing that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 1, it says, For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hands of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. I mean, we might wring our hands, we might worry about it, but in the end, it's in the hand of God. God is sovereign. Our lives are in his hands. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 6, or excuse me, 46, verse 9 and 10. It says, remember the former things long past, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God is sovereign, and to trust him, to say God is going to, his purpose is going to be carried out in this. I don't have to like it. I don't have to necessarily humanly like the direction or the choices that God makes. You know, I'm not his judge. I'm his servant. We humble ourselves before him. And then the greatest honor is, is just to, to give him his sovereignty and allow him to have that. Second truth we need. We should seek him in all things. We need to seek him in all things. It's not just a matter of trusting God is sovereign and everything, but in, in everything that we're doing, we need to, to seek him in all things. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. It says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we will live and also do this or that. There needs to be a a reckoning with us before God in the midst of all of this. To say, God, my hand, life is in your hands. I am seeking you in this. I am seeking your guidance, protection. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting your working. We should seek Him in all things. If God takes me, so be it. You know, you know. If God doesn't take me and leaves me here, so be it. He has a purpose and a meaning for us. Third thing, third truth: our hope that we seek is in Christ. We'll talk about this a little more. We talked about it earlier. But our hope is in Christ. Let me give you some verses. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. It says, some boast in chariots, some in horses. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Have you been doing that during this time? That God's name is on your tongue through the midst of this, through sharing? I mean, we, we almost feel hesitant sometimes to share because we feel, you know, the the, the circumstances are overtaken. It doesn't seem like God is in control or on the throne. No. I mean, these verses were, were, were stated in the midst of battle, in the midst of calamity, to ma- basically say it doesn't matter whatever other people trust. I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord, my God. Psalm 33, verse 20 through 22. says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us. Lord, for our hope is in you alone. We put our hope in the Lord. You know, and, and that's something, again, we're, we're, we kind of got sides of the coins here to look at. Um, I hope your hope isn't in our government. I hope, I, you've got to fight through this. And I'm not saying that we don't, you know, obey the things and we don't take the precautions and all of those sorts of things. But you need to fight through that, that as Christians, we're just not out there. Our hope is in the government, you know, And, and that's how we look like we're living. You know, we can make the decisions. We can, you know, follow protocol. We can do all of those things. But our hope is in God. It is not in man. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says, Pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory of the inheritance of its saints? It's a calling for us to to, to seek God in this. You know, get back centered that there is our hope. You know, we're not looking to the news every day and hoping for, you know, some solution to come from our governments or, or from our president or from our doctors or something. Our hope is in the Lord. And we need to filter everything through that. Number four, truth. Even amidst pain that God is working. Even amidst pain, God is working. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. You know, we know that 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 again, God is working in all situations. We might be, you know, they as a verse say you're poor. Yeah, we are rich, having nothing, possessing all things that, that, you know, truly matter. And we need to get back to that. You know, not necessarily the things that we don't have, but the things that we do have in Christ Jesus. We need to get back to living our faith. Of not letting COVID-19 or Satan steer the vehicle of our church or steer the vehicle of our lives. You know, if you think about this, we we laud Christians who live under persecution. And they live faithful under persecution. And, and, And we admire them. We lift them up. Not just the ones, you know, who end up being martyred for their faith. They may just be the ones that we hear about. But we admire the ones as well that live under a constant threat, a constant harassment, and somehow those believers figure it out. Somehow they figure it out how to live in a hostile environment and to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a small way, we are being called to do the same. I mean, I, 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 I shudder to even compare myself to the, some of the persecution that my brothers and sisters are suffering. But you know, the exact same call that we have in the midst of our circumstance to rise above it, to be a testimony. You know, to be, to be a testimony of who God is and where our hope is and where our faith is and trust. To navigate an angry, divided culture with grace and mercy. To live faithful and hopeful, trusting, you know, very public lives for Jesus Christ. To be able to do that during this time. we got to get it figured out. You know, not just as a church, but personally, we need to get this all figured out. That this trial that we're going through is an opportunity. You know, yes, it's not a choice that we have right now, but it is an opportunity for us as Christians. And I'm not sure, you know, if, if, if you have had that chance to maybe get yourself centered in this. Uh, you know, I, I honestly, because we can't get away from it. You know, have you had a chance to just pull yourself aside and just, you know, filter everything through the word of God? Give everything to him. Put it at the cross. Have you had a chance to do that? Well, I'm going to give us a chance this morning. Kathy, if you can go ahead and come up. She's going to play the piano for us here, and I'm going to give us a time to do some business with God and actually talk about, to God, you know, in, in this area of grace, in this area of hope. And what I want you to do is we're going to very quietly sit there and we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you some, some time to pray. And when you get yourself centered and you think, okay, this is where I need to be. This is where God wants me to be in my heart and my attitude, everything going forth from here. I'm not sure what it need you need to give to him. You need, maybe need to give to him fears. Maybe you need to give to him attitudes. I'm not sure what it is. But to take that time and, and to give it to God and to pray and, and just let him massage that in your heart. And I'm challenging you to stand with me today. That when you are done praying, when you are ready, you say, I, I think I have myself. God, I, I'm, you know, I may have to do this a hundred more times before this is over, but right now I'm there. When you are ready and you have prayed, I invite you to stand and just stand where you're at and give other people that time to come to that place. Uh, we're going to give us a, a good, decent amount of time to pray through these things before our Lord. And when you are ready, stand and stand with me for hope and for grace. going to continue to search our hearts, Lord. And Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your hope that you give us. Thank you, Lord, that we go through circumstances not like the world goes through circumstances. Thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit living within my heart, Lord, to guide me and direct. Forgive, Father the times that I've let self block that out and hindered that voice of the Holy Spirit within me prompting thank you for your forgiveness in that area and God I, I just ask us I ask that this week would be different for us that this day Lord that you will constantly bring us back to you and to who you are and to what is ours to come that hope of heaven and an eternity, and a glory, that you say one day this life will all just be seem like a vapor that is past, and eternity will go on forever and ever. So help us to persevere, Father. Persevere to you. Persevere in strength, in mercy, and hope, Lord. Thank you. In thy Son's name we pray.